An NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. This is Ryan. And this is Ashley. And this is Ruining Ruining Our Our Childhood. Childhood. A weekly podcast where we remove our childhood goggles and put on our adult bifocals to rewatch and review our favorite movies from the past. That is what this podcast is. And also, I just want to say, happy holidays. Yeah. Because this episode will be coming out on Christmas Eve. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's a good one. Yes. I think. I don't know. We haven't watched the movie yet. It's going to be... It's been a while. For sure. This week we're watching the 1988 classic Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis, among others, but yeah. we'll discuss them later, of course. And why don't you hit us with some 1988 facts? Yeah. I don't know why I always said it came out in 87, hmm. till literally I mean, this morning. It was probably filmed in 87. That would make sense. Uh, this movie was released on July 22nd of, I'm sorry, July 12th, 1988 in Los Angeles, and then got a wide release of July 15th of 1988. It had a budget of $28 million and grossed $141 million. It then went on to spawn four sequels, and also it should be noted that in 2007, Bruce Willis donated one of the famous undershirts to the National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian Institute. Sorry. That is a tongue twister. So Smithsonian. Yes. Yeah, so John McClane's shirt is in the Smithsonian. Good job. Yes. Popular TV shows from 1988 were The Cosby Show, A Different World, and Cheers. Popular song for the week the movie came out is Cheap Trick, The Flame. A couple other popular songs were Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child O' Mine, and Bon Jovi, Bad Medicine. Sure. Yeah. Popular movies included Rain Man, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Coming to America. I don't know why I'm laughing. I don't know. Because I was trying to smile. I looked up and you were smiling at me. I don't know why. It was kind of creepy and then I was like, I'm probably creeping you out right now. Like, I read that if you force a smile... You'll get like almost like an endorphin rush. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to do that. So I sound happier. I always think you sound happy on this. Well, thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes I'm happy to be doing this. No, I, I like doing this. I yeah. just sometimes, you know, you're just not in the mood to talk. I um, mean, I don't think you know what that's like. Hey. Because uh, uh, you talk a lot. That's what we do here. So, yeah. 1988. What was your first memory of this film? I didn't see it for years, and my brother went away to college, I think it would have been 2001, Mm -hmm. and his college dorm mates were obsessed with Die Hard. They watched it probably every week down there. So my brother came back and was like, it's the best movie. Showed me it, showed me all the sequels. We had to get them on DVD and like this like really nice DVD box set of all of them where they were like three disc sets. And yeah, so he introduced me to this movie. What were your earliest memories? I remember watching this movie, but out of all the Die Hard, I remember the one with Samuel L. Jackson the most. Mm-hmm. Was he in more than one? Or was I, he? 
he just did I think one. he's just in the third one. Okay, that that's the one I remember. I think maybe when that was coming out, we watched the first two or something. And I liked it. Again, it was in that time frame when I was really young where action movies weren't the most appealing thing to me. Yeah. As a child. But I still watched them just to hang out with the rest of my family. So I don't, like like I said, if I can think back, the memories I have from this movie is watching it with you like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. But when we, when we watched it a couple of years ago, I do remember scenes um, from, so I must have seen it before then, but I, it's not, it's not something I personally am like, yeah, it's the best movie of all time. Um, you know, like, like you and your brother's. I don't or think it's the best specifically movie Specifically one time. brother. Yeah, I was going to say, specifically one brother really loves it to the point he did have the movie poster up in his apartment. Yeah. I think you had to have it if you had a penis for a minute, at least. Yeah. That and Scarface. Yeah. Scarface is a good one, but I felt like this was a better movie. Ooh, shots fired. Yeah. I think if you wanted to be gangsta... In the late 90s, you had a claim Scarface was the best movie of all time. Yeah, right. I, I guess. It's a good movie, though. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I think I only watched bits and pieces of it. The only thing I remember from it was that my brother told me that Vice City was very similar. Mm-hmm. The story of Tony. That's pretty true. So, and I played Grand Theft Auto a lot. Oh, Vice City was the jam. It was. Do you think this is a Christmas movie? Let's answer that age-old question. For me, it's not in the sense that we watch it every year. This is not part of our Christmas tradition, mine and yours. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons we wanted to watch it for the podcast was because we hadn't seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. And it is to an exhausting debate. Yeah. Almost that there's people that think it's a Christmas movie. There's people that think it isn't. Similar to Nightmare Before Christmas, I think. Some people think it's a Christmas movie. Some people think, think it's, it's a Halloween movie. Yeah. I personally think it is a Christmas movie. Nightmare Before Christmas? No, this movie? Die Hard. Oh, okay. <laughs> Die Hard, I think, is... I think Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie. But Disney decorates Haunted Mansion in Disneyland during Christmas. Uh, it's for the entire holiday season. Damn they changed it in September. And... <laughs> so it's confusing. Even Disney's like, we don't know. Who hosts the villain stuff for Halloween? That's true. Oogie Boogie. That's true. No, I, I'm not going to argue with you on anything Disney, Ryan. This movie, I think it's odd that it was released back in July. Yeah. Because I, it is set at Christmas time. It's set around a Christmas party. So for that reason, I say it is a Christmas movie. Okay. But I get anyone who argues that. It's one of those things that I agree with the mass majority of people saying it's a Christmas movie. It's just not personally my choice for a Christmas movie. We have so many that we like to watch that it's like maybe every couple of years we can fit it in. Yeah. Like this year. It's kind of like Scrooged for us. We enjoy it, but we don't watch it every year. It's not Home Alone or the Harry Potters we watch every single Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. But we're fitting it in this year with the Die Hard podcast. (laughs) We're just changing our name to Die Hard podcast. There's probably one out there. Can you imagine? I could. I don't know what they would talk about for more than a couple episodes, but... (laughs) They write fan fiction. Maybe it's a limited series. You know, there's yeah. probably those ones that exist. <laughs> Die hard fan fiction. Die I just fan fiction. <laughs> processed what you just said. Yeah. Uh, good John terms. McClane meets John McCain. <laughs> <laughs>
patriotism. That's very patriotic and yeah. masculine. Masculine. So, do you think this movie will hold up? I'm going to say yes, because I feel like Bruce Willis was really good in this movie. And the other element that it had was a great villain. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps when it's like those two main components come together. I think that can hold it to hold up the movie better than if, you know, hey, it's a really crappy over the top villain. I think if it was an actor that wasn't still pretty relevant and I know, I mean, Bruce Willis doesn't do tons of movies anymore. And some of the movies he does, they're not. Not great. They're not like the top, like this was, yeah. you know, when he was at the peak of his career in mm-hmm. the late 80s, early 90s. But he's still, he's still Bruce Willis. Everybody yes. knows your name. Yes. Everybody knows you. So I think if it was somebody that came and went and there wasn't a good career afterwards, maybe it wouldn't hold up. I think there's going to be elements that don't hold up. But I think overall, a movie that spawns so many sequels, a movie that has such a cult following, has it for a reason. And I think it will hold up because of all those reasons. Awesome. Before we tell you where you can find Die Hard, unless you own it, which... Let's be honest, if you're listening to this episode and you're really excited that we're doing this, then you probably own it. I would hope. But for Christmas, mm-hmm. we want to do a little viewer contest. Why do you say viewer? You're not Listener. watching us. Listener contest. Yeah. And we're doing an Instagram contest. So head over to our Instagram today and we're giving away an amazing t-shirt. Some would say the coolest t-shirt. I would agree. I'm not going to tell you what it has on it, but let's just say it's a favorite. Yes. And just follow the instructions on the Instagram post and you could win an amazing t-shirt. It's going to be one of a kind. It it should be one of a kind, unless we decide we want one too. That's possible. It's a pretty sweet shirt. Yeah. It's a favorite of mine. Is it? Yeah. Where can you stream this movie? A couple places. Crackle. Okay. They do have ads though. It says underneath the thing. And if you have DirecTV, I'm guessing it is on there. Uh, what's the word? On demand. On demand. Mm-hmm. And Fubo. Oh, okay. If you have a Fubo subscription, and you can rent it, of course. But like I said, you probably own it. Let's be honest. Um. So yeah. Again, check out our Instagram contest. Possibly win a T-shirt. Win an amazing, one of a kind, limited edition T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And also, we'll be right back to watch this sick possibly hit that pausey pause <laughs> okay okay bye okay and we're back we just finished watching die hard and we're gonna go ahead and break down our movie like we always do with our categories and the first one is well hello there where we talk about any cameos or famous or recognizable actors or actresses that we forgot were in the movie. And there was quite a few. There was. I was just telling you that the first 30, 45 minutes of the movie, Mm -hmm. there was a couple that I wrote down that I'd remembered from the last time we watched the movie, but I thought, you know, maybe the listeners hadn't remembered Mm -hmm. or noticed. So I wrote those down, and then all of a sudden, when the police show up to the scene, it's like... To me, one after the other of all these recognizable people for me and yeah. you. So there was quite a few towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, what was who was your first one? Uh, the first one was for me was Bonnie Belladia, I yes. believe is how you say her last name. 
She plays John McClane's wife, Holly, but what also I recognized her from was playing the mom on the TV series Parent Trap. Or not Parent Trap, Parenthood, sorry. Yes, the Lindsay Lohan movie, Parent Trap. No, uh, Parenthood, where she played Craig T. Nelson's wife on that. Yes. Yeah. My first one was her. My second one was Clarence Gilliard Jr. Yes. Who plays Theo, one of the terrorists. Mm Mm-hmm. Who is not a German national or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, but he is most notably, for me, from Walker, Texas Ranger. His name was Trevette. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Chuck Norris's partner. And the other thing I saw he was on was the like later episodes of Matlock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I noticed was Reginald Vell Johnson, yes. who we all know as Carl Winslow from Family Matters. He played Sergeant Al Powell. He was one of the ones that I definitely remember from the movie, because mm-hmm. I would say he's, I guess, the third? Yeah. Ca- like, biggest character? Definitely. Like, you'd put him right behind Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. Yeah. Yeah. He was also, more recently, I saw him in Heart of Dixie. Okay. He had, like, a reoccurring character in the town. And he also had a cameo in the post credit scene. Not It was for when Endgame was re-released. Yeah. He was uh, played basically Sergeant Al Powell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember that. The next one I had was a actor named Al Leong. Mm-hmm. He played one of the terrorists named Uli. I don't think he had a line, really. And he was only in like three scenes. <laughs> but his face is so particular. He's very short. Asian guy with really long hair. He was on Lethal Weapon. I'm pretty yes. sure we talked about him in our Lethal Weapon episode because I think he was in the scene where they have... Why can't I think of it? Mel, Mel Gibson tied up and they're beating him mm-hmm. towards the end. And he was also in Big uh, Trouble in Little China and he played Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Okay, nice. Who is your next one? My next one was Paul Gleason, who is the principal from... Uh, Breakfast Club, and he was the dean in Van Wilder, which we talked about episodes ago. Uh, He plays the deputy chief of the LAPD, Chief, I think it's Craig Robinson. I think he might actually had his name be Craig Robinson. Oh, okay. Like the awesome actor. Yeah, definitely had him. Mm -hmm. And the next one I had was Mary Ellen Trainer, Mm -hmm. who played the reporter Gail Whelan's. She was actually in the news anchor. Yes. They kept going back and forth to the guy on the street, to her. Mm-hmm. And she is most notably, we, I think we've talked about her in her Lethal Weapon episode again. Mm-hmm. She played the psychotherapist. Yeah. And she is also the mom from Goonies. And she was the uh, played Ed O'Neill's wife in Little Giants. Yes. Yeah. And I looked her up and she was, I don't know if we said this during the Lethal Weapon episode, but she wasn't all for... Lethal Weapons, mm-hmm. and I did notice her first billing was a psychologist, uh-huh. second one one had a different thing, and then they finally gave her a name credit in the, sec- the third and fourth movie. Wow. Yeah. You had to be in three of the movies to get a name. Yes. That's ridiculous. So, who was your next one? Uh, my next one was Robert Davey, yes. who played Agent Johnson, who is one of the FBI agents, and what I most recognize him from is he was one of the Fratellis in The Goonies. Yes. Yes. He, 
To the point where I saw him on screen, I'm like, I can't remember the end of this movie. Is he in on it? Is I started thinking that. Right away, I'm like, oh, he's just like his character in Goonies. He's a villain. And then I also thought the next one that I had was William Arthurton, mm-hmm. who played the reporter Thornburg, uh-huh. who was an asshole. He was in Ghostbusters. I want to say he was a bad guy in Ghostbusters. He just has that face that he looks like a villain. Mm-hmm. And he, when I saw him, I was like, is he on the take with Hans Gruber? Like, I'm <laughs> creating all these side storylines because there's all these people that play villains in other movies that I'm just like, he, you're like, he's just an asshole. You're like, if I had written this movie, I would have all these double crosses. Well, same thing with Paul Gleason's character. I'm thinking he's so dismissive of mm-hmm. Sergeant Powell that I'm thinking he's got to be in on it. No, he's just a dumbass. <laughs> he's just stupid. Yeah. Who is your next one? Um, I'm trying to look up his name. Uh, for the life of me, I forgot it, but I know you have it. He played the, like, electrician. It was Ron something. Let me see. Yeah. R- Ron- Rick Dukeman. Rick Dukeman. Uh, he plays, like, an electrician in this... But what I recognized him the most from was he was the limousine driver in the movie Blank Check. Yes. And he was basically the kid's, like, best friend. When I looked him up when we saw him in the movie, he played Cindy's dad on Scary Movie. Yes. Anna Ferris's character. And I he think he's been in a bunch of other things, but it looks like he passed away a couple of years ago, which is sad. Very sad. The next person I noticed was... An actress by the name of Tracy Reiner, she played Thornburg's assistant. She had a very, very small part, but she was in a league of their own. She was one of the, on the baseball team. Mm -hmm. And she's actually Penny Marshall's daughter and Rob Reiner's adoptive daughter. Oh. So that's why her last name's Reiner. Makes sense. Yeah. And she's been in a couple other things, but a league of their own is definitely one of my favorite movies that... Mm -hmm. I kind of want to do for the podcast, but I don't. It's kind of like how I was with uh, Ace Ventura, yeah. where I really like this movie, and I don't know if I want to watch it with a super critical eye and maybe ruin it for myself. I feel like A League of Their Own is so kind of critically acclaimed, and, and it's based in a historic time frame that I think it would be fine, but I mean, we can do it. I agree, but I, I, I would watch it. Yeah. I like that movie. Uh, did you have anybody else? Uh, we had a couple oh. special appearances yes. by some of our favorite actors at the time, uh, one of which was Juggy the Oil Drum making yes. an appearance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was very excited. He showed up when uh, John McClane was fighting one of the terrorists named Carl. And yeah, he did not blow up, though. No, but it was on the roof, so I assume that they blew up. Because the roof, the roof spoiler alert, the roof does blow up at the end, but they don't actually show him blowing up. Yeah. So. I like how you called Juggy a him. Well, <laughs> like they didn't show him blow up. <laughs> I want to talk about LFH. The low legendary. Fl- low flying helicopter. And I've said this before, but you can't have an action movie without this guy. He's no. just, he's a character actor. He just goes in there. He does his job. But this one was a little different. He started off as a low-flying helicopter. I don't know why. Yeah, who knows? The FBI were using them to move the hostages. So the hostages were going to go to the roof, which Hans Gruber wanted them to because he wanted to blow it up and kill everybody. Mm -hmm. But the FBI were going to pick him up in the helicopter, 
But for some reason, they flew the helicopters down the street first. Yes. Like very low down the street. As you do with a helicopter. You keep it as low to the ground as possible. Then, unfortunately, he has a tragic death because he flies too high. He becomes a high-flying helicopter (laughs) and gets blown up on the roof. So. So sad. But we talked about it the other day because I couldn't remember... If there was any helicopters in this movie, mm-hmm. and I was like, are we going to see some low-flying helicopter? I doubt it, because it's a tall tower, and if they have a helicopter, I assume it's going to be high. Yeah. Nope. They nope. didn't They didn't disappoint. Bring it in at ground level. Yeah. That's what I say with a helicopter. Makes sense. <laughs> Did you have anybody else? No, that was it for me. Awesome. Well, now we can move on to the next category. Kids would call it a throwback. We call it the prime of our teens. But also, not really our teens, because I was two when this movie came out. So, did you have any fashion choices? I only had a couple. And uh, was one of the terrorists, I noticed he kind of looked like Fabio. He had really nice long hair. Just, All of these terrorists, yeah, like 90% of them had beautiful hair. They were hitting the conditioner on point in I'm this pretty movie. sure a couple of them got blowouts. So like, hey, we're going to hit this tower. <laughs> Gotta look my best. Get the blowout. But he was wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> and I'm like going, yeah, if I was going to go blow up a building and try to rob someone of $640 million, I would probably want to look nice with a nice turtleneck. I will say they were very stylish. And I think it's kind of like this thing, like if you're European, that you're really into fashion. And even John at one point notices that they're wearing European clothing. Yeah. But, yeah. A lot of 80s hair. Holly's mm-hmm. hair is huge. Oh, yeah. She teased it to Jesus, as you do. Yes, yes. Um, but mostly, yeah, I just noticed the uh, German terrorists all had amazing hair. Yeah. So. The only other thing I noticed was there was uh, another one of the terrorists, which I will only refer to as Hitler's Dream, with his <laughs> nice blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, he gets killed really early in the movie. He's the one that John puts in the elevator. I think his name is Fitz or something. That like could that. be. Uh, he gets put in the elevator and John writes Fritz. ho, ho, ho uh, on his sweater. Right. He was wearing gray sweatpants and a gray sweater. He did look like he was rocking super cash, but I also feel like that sweater was $200. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was probably designed by like whatever the equivalent of Tom Ford was back yeah. then. It was super expensive. Did you have any other? No, that was it. I was kind of surprised. I guess you could have looked at the hostages, especially the women, and they work in an office setting, so they're wearing, like, big three-piece suits with, uh-huh. with um, shoulder pads and stuff. But it wasn't really noticeable because it focuses mostly on Bruce Willis's character and the terrorists, so yeah. they were more notable to me. How about some offensive jokes or dated references? One of the dated references that I had kind of right off the bat was John McClane is on the airplane and he's carrying a gun. That That's true. Which I, that's not... I know he's I a police officer. I think even if you're... Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can do that anymore. I think you can check it, maybe? You probably could. Yeah, I don't know. I also noticed in the very beginning he gets off the plane, he's still in the airport and he lights up a cigarette, which... Obviously, it's something that would not be happening anymore. No. They don't even have smoking sections in restaurants anymore. No. I think they still have smoking sections in airports, though. But they're like little boxes yeah. or, or little outside areas mm-hmm. that you can go to. Yeah. Your next one? Uh, my next one was just the 
appearance of the office in Nakatami Plaza where yeah. they're having the Christmas party, it looks so dated in 80s. It's 80s high tech. Yeah, it has a me. nice waterfall mm-hmm, in it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody would have an office like that th- these days. Uh, I mean, it's more you trendy to have like ping pong tables and, you know, stuff that startups have yeah but like a massive waterfall and yeah it's not even like in the lobby there's a waterfall because like plenty of buildings we've been to have water features yeah the the lobby yeah Yeah. actually has one but this was actually in their office yeah on their floor and there's just in the center of it there's this big rock feature with yeah i was gonna say it was very large and elaborate yeah i liked how john he did it like three times in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie, he says, fucking California. <laughs> and I get, it's partly he has this animosity because his wife mm-hmm. did move there. Definitely. She chose to move there. She got a better job mm-hmm. and she moved his kids and he decided to stay where he was. So I think that's part of it, but it was just, like, stupid stuff. He saw a really cute blonde jump to the arms of her boyfriend. He's like, fucking California. And then he's at the... Christmas party and this guy kisses him on the cheek and says happy holidays and he's just like what the fuck <laughs> yeah I mean I'm guessing they don't do that in New York very uh, true uh, the last one that I had was there was the newsstand inside the Nakatami Plaza and it had and it had actual Mars bars oh I didn't notice that was it the scene where the guy there's a scene where the one actor that we talked about from Lethal Weapon yes yes and he's looking at the glass and he's just like should I grab one yeah should I not grab one? And he does. Because yeah, um, the other candy bars in there were like a Nestle Crunch and some other ones that are still available in grocery stores. I don't know that I've ever seen a Mars bar. That's true. They're in Europe, I think. They oh. have Mars bars. I don't even know what would be in a Mars bars even. I think in the UK, a Mars bar is basically what, uh, not a Three Musketeer, but uh, what's another one that's like Three Musketeer? Uh, Milky Way? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Oh. But, you know, don't. I Don't think take my, my word for it. My dad used to eat Mars bars when I was a little kid, and I, I never ate one. Hmm. I was sticking, like you said, three musketeers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are delicious. Yeah. At one point, he's watching... He calls the police, or he doesn't call the police. He radios. hacks into their radio channel mm-hmm. and radios them. It's really upset because they're like, who are you? But Sergeant Powell gets the call to go check up on the tower and he's driving, and he John is watching him, and he's like, who's driving his car, Stevie Wonder? And I'm not quite sure why he said that, other than he was driving kind of slow. I That's all I can assume. He wasn't swerving or anything. No, he was driving slow, and I'm also thinking, he's checking out a 30-story building. He's driving slowly to kind of eye up and see what's going on before he walks into a shitstorm. Yeah. What was your next one? Uh, my next one was, it was Holly's co-worker, Ellis. He's the one that had a bit of a cocaine problem. Yes. He decides he needs to go talk to Hans and try to negotiate with terrorists, as you do. Because he's a great salesperson, or whatever he does. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. he negotiates stuff, so he thinks he can negotiate with terrorists. And he starts talking to Hans, and he's like, I don't know if you're upset with the uh, camel jockeys or what. He said some other ones that I didn't catch, but Mm -hmm. that was the one I caught, and I was like, But that was the last one that I had. I don't know if you had any other ones. I put this under here because I was just thinking that it was just 
so dumb on his part, but Thornburg, the reporter, finds out John's identity, goes to his wife's house, threatens to call INS on their housekeeper, or her housekeeper, unless she lets them in, and then puts their children on TV, which gives away Holly's identity, but the INS thing was the offensive part. It was funny, when I worked at the PD, the police hate the media. Yes. And I think if you just go watch this movie, you see why. They come driving into the crime scene. Mm -hmm. They're yelling at him to stop. They don't care. He goes and puts a police officer's family on television to make a plea to them. I'm like, you're a moron. Yeah. Just to get the story. Yeah. It kind of does paint reporters in a worse light because I don't think anybody would particularly go that far. No. But at the same time, you never know. I don't think they would go to an officer's house. That's a good way to get yourself killed, I'm thinking, because when the officer finds out, he's not going to be happy. That's true. It was shitty. Did you have anything else there? No, that was it for me for the dated references and offensive jokes. The only one that I had, just because I feel like people don't really use this term as a, a offensive thing to say to people, but it was Richard Thornburg, the reporter, is at the newsroom, mm-hmm. and he says to his co-worker, eat it, Harvey, and just the look on his co-worker's face as, as if he told him to go fuck himself, or... <laughs> That he just told him that he was sleeping with his mother. He was so offended because he said, eat it, Harvey. How dare you? It was hilarious. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Yes. Uh, Our next category is where we break down the technology. And as you imagine, in a 1980s action movie, there's quite a bit of dated technology. What pieces of technology did you notice? There was quite a few. Like you mentioned, this whole tower has the highest of tech of 1988. Mm Mm-hmm. John goes into the tower, he's at the security desk, and the security guard's like, type in whoever you know in that directory, and it's touchscreen. Oh, man. And he calls it a cute toy. (laughs) John does. (laughs) But that was some advanced shit for 1988. Yeah. I remember when I first started, like, my second job, being very impressed that they had touchscreen telephones. That was, like, 2006. I thought that was a pretty neat toy. I noticed some computers, I don't know why, but back in the 80s and 90s, why the screens were black with green font. I don't know, that was just what they chose when they created computers. I don't know why it wasn't white, though. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Ask people that are really into computers, but that is what you see when you see computer. Yeah, it was the norm, but I was always confused by that, and they had some computers that were like that. Also, at the security desk, they had a camera monitor that was super duper small. Mm-hmm. And the feed, it's funny when I we watch movies that are from the 80s, early 90s, and the feed is just horrible. Yeah. I'm surprised they were even able to see anything. It had like a black and white screen, too. Yeah. I also noticed behind the security desk, there was just random buttons that were like squares and triangles. It reminded me of the control panel of an amusement park ride. I have no idea what any of those buttons would have did, but they were just random. Here's a triangle. Here's a square. Yeah. They light up. Did you have any other ones? We kind of mentioned the scene when John gets a radio by killing one of the terrorists, Mm -hmm. and he is able to patch into the LAPD line, and the headsets that the dispatchers are wearing, they, I don't know why, they look like stethoscopes. I can't talk. Stethoscopes. Yeah. 
They were so weird. Yeah. They didn't look like headsets that you would see today, which I get, but they were all metal and they just had this really big hook on the ear and it just looked so bizarre. They looked super uncomfortable yeah, too. Yeah, that I would not want to be a dispatcher back I'm, then. I'm like, can I just have a phone receiver and I'll talk into that? Don't yeah. give me... I'll, I'll hurt my neck yeah. all day just so I don't have to have that thing sticking out of my head. Yeah, weird metal hook hooked around my ear. No, yeah. thank you. Did you have anything else? Uh, the limousine that Argyle picks up John in yeah. was the most souped up 1980s limousine where Argyle more or less lists all the features. He's like, there's a TV, a VCR, CD, telephone, and it's all 80s technology that you would expect to be in a limousine. And That's I think true. there was even a cassette deck in it. Nice. Yeah, pretty awesome. But yeah, that was it for me. The only thing I had um, on this category that I want to talk to as far as music is that they had Christmas and Hollis. Yes. Run DMC, which I I'd started to make a list of why this would be considered a Christmas movie. And they reference Christmas a lot mm-hmm. within the movie. And then they have almost all the music is Christmas music. So I guess just by those factors alone, then you call it a Christmas movie. I feel like they didn't slap you in the face visually with christmas no because the beginning of the movie is kind of during daytime and it kind of takes part over one night but there wasn't a lot of christmas lights or anything like that there was bare minimal christmas tree and lights there was a tree in the lobby and i think they had a tree in their actual office yeah but yeah it wasn't like overdone and i think it's because it's set in la so there wasn't like snow so i guess you don't get the ambiance of christmas but Mm -hmm. they do mention it quite a few times yeah. So it's it's enough to go, yeah, I can consider this a Christmas movie. Exactly. I think. Agreed. Do you want to move on? Yes. The next category is called Is It Even Good? Where we talk about the plot and the main plot holes and our funniest and cringiest moments and whatever else we want to talk about in this category. <laughs> <laughs> so the plot. I know you're going to say, I think it's believable that a guy would go to a, a strange wife's party and then, you know, fight off terrorists extremely believable <laughs> i was just that was my impression of and it was a terrorist group trying to rob a big corporation all believable yeah sure <laughs> i did have some plot holes oh yeah i had tons of plot holes what was your tons. first tons <laughs> tons what was your first plot hole? just the whole reason he's going to california mm-hmm. is to visit his family his estranged wife She's been in California the last six months. Argyle asks him in the limousine when they're driving to the tower. He's like, hey, why why didn't you move here with your wife? And he's like, it's complicated. I can't just pick up a move. I got to arrest people. And it was such the bullshit thing. And you realize that he didn't want to support his wife because obviously his wife is definitely the breadwinner Mm -hmm. because cops don't get paid that much. No. And I think it took a little hit of his masculinity, maybe a little bit. I agree with you, specifically the part he gave, I can't pick up and move. I have open cases. That doesn't matter, bud. (laughs) They'll pass your case on to someone else. Yeah. If they fire you, do you think they just hold on to you for another year so you can go wrap up your cases? Yeah. No, you're gone. Life goes on. They replace you. I'm sorry. You're replaceable. Yes. It sounds mean. And you can get a job with... LAPD or one of the other small city police departments. He's been a cop for 11 years. They would happily probably take him on at, like you said, any of the surrounding agencies out there. He'd have a job. Maybe not now. (laughs) After the movie. (laughs) Uh, After what he did? eh, It's kind of no. For me, 
when the terrorists storm the building and he sees what's happening, he goes into the stairwell. I don't understand why at no point did the terrorists man the stairwell. And also, I didn't get why John didn't just go to the basement. He knows Argyle's there and he has a phone. He told him there's a phone. That's true. He goes up. He goes up. I never got why he didn't go down. That's a good question, man. Because he he's not the type of guy that runs away from a situation. Yeah. He he wants to stay and fight. But he does run away. He just runs That's up. <laughs> he's like, I'm getting. And there's some lulls in the movie where he's just hanging out. Yeah. Talking to Sergeant Powell. Uh huh. Having a having a drag from a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of time for. I'm surprised, especially after the few first terrorists started dying that they didn't try to sweep the building more often they they swept it like once and then they're like eh, he's around here somewhere he's probably not that big of a threat and when he gets to the building and he checks in at security the guys like get in the elevator and go up to their 30 30th floor because a lot of these floors are still under construction yeah and then he's like when it beeps you get out of the elevator <laughs> yeah to tell him how to operate an elevator yeah but i'm like so you know if I go down, there's a lot of empty areas where I could hide and possibly try to get out. I get he goes up to get cell phone signal, not cell phone signal, but a radio signal once yeah. he gets a radio. But yeah, I would have went down to Argyle. You know there's but a then, phone. I mean, Argyle was stuck where he was, so I guess it wouldn't have mattered regardless. But it just, yeah, I didn't get the, I, I never agreed with him going up. I'm yeah, like, it's down, like buddy. a scary movie. You shouldn't be going up. You should be getting out of your house. Yeah. It all worked out. In the end, only 30 people died. There's a point, and I put this under the plot holes because it was just unnecessary. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, when Hans Gruber and his group gets inside the building, the one guy who is actually the first guy that dies, mm -hmm. I think his name was Fritz or Fitz, one of the two. He goes down the stairwell. He walks, and it's clearly him, and then all of a sudden, it's definitely a stunt double in a really bad wig, and he slides down the stairwell, and then it cuts to him again. And it's the most unnecessary thing. So you hired a stunt double just to do that little slide down the stair. Why? It made no sense. And I looked at you, I went, well, that's a fancy way to go down steps and pointless. And I didn't catch that it was a different guy. And you go, look at his hair, his yeah. hair changes. So they brought a stunt double in just to put his arms on the railings of stairs and slide down. He was probably there for, you know, all the other action scenes. But I'm thinking that he's the first one that dies. He's, yeah. He fights with John. I wonder if the... Stunt double is just hanging out, and he's like, well, look what I can do on the stairs. And they're like, let's put that in the movie. <laughs> I used to be a gymnast. I can do this. And they're like, whoa. The director's head explodes. He's like, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Slide on down. Uh, this is great. Uh, the next one I had was when Hans fakes being a hostage and starts talking in a very poor American accent. <laughs> and John gives him a gun. Yes. And when he gives him the gun, Hans immediately starts talking German. I don't know why John didn't just turn and shoot him. That's true. They go into a very James Bondian monologue between the two where they're both basically discussing their plans for world domination. He could have just turned and shot him. Maybe he wanted to keep him alive so he could get arrested because this was already past the point where... The cops are downstairs and the chief doesn't like him. He thinks he's, you know, a vigilante. 
and which I mean technically is. Yes. But maybe he's like, I need to have proof that there's this terrorist, and he's I don't know. And also, he felt like he wasn't a threat because he knew the gun wasn't loaded. The gun yeah. he handed him. But I agree. It but, could have been easily solved. Exactly. I, I was like, I get the point that you knew the gun wasn't loaded, but also, you know he's a terrorist. Shoot him. Yeah. Problem solved. Another plot hole I had. So, at the beginning of the movie, when Hans comes in, he's looking for uh, Taka- Takagi? Is that his name? The boss? Yeah. I think it's Takagi. And he separates him. He wants the codes to their vault that has tons of money in it, you know. Mm-hmm. That old thing. And the guy was like, yeah, I'm not going to give it to you. Or I, whatever I give you, it's not going to work. We have all these security measures. And he shoots him. Then he goes back downstairs. And I'm not going to say what he says because that's actually my funniest moment. Okay. But nobody mourns their boss's death. Yeah. Everybody's just like, oh, boss is dead. Oh, well. And he seemed like a really nice boss. Like he welcomed John in. He was talking to him. You know, he seemed like he was a pretty nice boss. It seemed like for them to be a group of hostages, they don't panic until they're on the roof. Yeah. Which, understandably, panic. Yeah. But the only one that kind of panics is Ellis, but he is high on coke. (laughs) So that might have something to do with it, too. Yeah. What was your next one? That was actually the only ones that I had. Did Um, you have some more? I had a couple, but nothing, like, major. When John throws the... A chair into the window when he's mm-hmm. trying to get Sergeant Powell's attention because mm-hmm. he's the only cop in front of the building at this point. And he throws the chair into the window. It just breaks so easily that I'm like, how shitty is that glass? Yeah. I don't know if that it would have been bulletproof, but it should have been a lot stronger. Piece I feel of like glass. It sh- he should have had to hit it like a couple times. Yeah. And it was a wooden chair too, by the way. That chair should have broke. Unless it's like a really expensive, like made of thick oak or something. Ron <laughs> Swanson made that chair, so it <laughs> It was rich mahogany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much all I had. If we want to move on to our funniest yes. moments, what was yours? I liked when uh, the news starts picking up what's going on, and they bring in a terrorist expert yes. to talk on the news. Sure. Yeah, at, you know, you have these guys at your disposal in case a terrorist attack happens. And the terrorist expert's on the evening news, and he's talking about how the hostages are going through Helsinki, Helsinki syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't uh, the female anchor, it was the male anchor. He looks and he goes, as in Helsinki, Finland, very cockily. Or cocky? Cockily. He's <laughs> <laughs> very cockily. And the uh, terrorist expert's like, no, as in Finland. <laughs> what did you... You just said Helsinki, Finland. Oh, I'm sorry. He says Helsinki, Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the... Like, he says it's so like, yeah. Like, no, you're an idiot. You don't even know where Helsinki he's is. The still the, he's the one that got offended yeah. when he said, eat it, Harvey. <laughs> eat it. Um, mine was, so I just mentioned, Hans shot their boss, Takagi, and he goes downstairs and he's like, he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. <laughs> and just the way he delivered that line, it was hilarious. It was very well done. It made me laugh out loud. What was your cringiest? Ooh. There was quite a few kind of... Alan Rickman's American accent was pretty high up there on the cringy. But right when they storm the Christmas party, the terrorists are shooting guns just nonstop into the ceiling. 
Yes. And I'm like, why? Stop. They must have ran off a million rounds for no reason. If you walk in, they might not see you right away. You're going to shoot a couple shots. It startles everyone. You have their attention. Okay. But they're just, people are screaming and they're like, we don't care. I almost put that as a plot hole because at one point, it was very early on the movie when John Fritz gets to that floor where it's just construction and Mm -hmm. he kind of just hangs out there. He looks outside the window and there's a building nearby and he can see like a woman in the building because there's one thing I know about John. He can spot a woman. (laughs) They make sure you know that. He checks out quite a few ladies. He has the worst wandering eye to the point where there's a calendar in that construction zone Mm -hmm. and he checks it out like three times and I'm like, (laughs) The building is attacked with terrorists. You are more than aware of this. You walk by a picture of a naked woman. You have to be like, hey, what's going on, lady? Yeah. It's to me, I think that's such a an old movie way of being like, this guy is a ladies man. Mm Mm-hmm. In case you didn't know, here's him. Looking at ladies and ladies looking back at him. <laughs> the picture. The picture has eyes for John. But anyway, yeah. that's, I got off topic, but he sees the woman. And I'm thinking the building's not that far. How do you not hear a bunch of gunshots screaming? Then this is all before the police even know what's going on and they're there. But I don't know. There's times where movies will do that. They just like. They hope the audience just ignores the fact that somebody would hear that gunshot, I feel like. And I felt like when they first give the call out on the radio to Sergeant Powell and he's leaving the convenience store, he walks out and he looks at the top of Nakatomi Plaza and he can see machine guns being fired. And like you said, they're machine guns. They're very, very loud. You should be able to hear that. Right? It should echo, I'm thinking. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows, man? My my cringiest moment was, it's actually a first for me. It was more of like a cringy, like, I was a little scared because when John is in the air vent, I think it's like in the middle of the movie, and he uses the gun to brace himself into the vent, Uh and then he falls. And that's just like, it reminds me of that scene in Mission Impossible when Tom Cruise is on the, the building in Dubai. Yeah, like the Burj Khalifa, I think. Yeah, and it's just kind of, I don't know, cringy because I just think about people falling. It's weird. I remember, like, specifically that, the Tom Cruise scene. You know he doesn't die. Yes. This would have been a huge news story. But even still, watching this movie that's 30 years old, we know Bruce Willis doesn't die. I did the same thing. I kind of was like, like, I could feel my heart rate going up. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like whenever I see... I mean, it's not as bad anymore, but I've been in a couple of car accidents, mm-hmm. and for the longest time, I couldn't watch movies with car accidents because it's it's like triggering, I guess. Yeah, it's gonna way to say it. almost trigger PTSD. Like, yeah, that stuff's no joke. <laughs> also, I just want to my second. It was a runner up was that kiss between Holly and John at the end because he was just at one point he's just rubbing his face on hers, <laughs> and, and he's. he's just, He's been through a lot. He's bloody, sweaty. Yeah. Uh, he is covered in dirt and grime. He's been co- crawling through air vents and just filthy. And he's like, yeah, let me just eat my wife's face. I don't know what it is about some old movie kisses that are just so... They do that kind of weird sweeping motion. And yeah. it's just kind of weird. Yeah. No, Nobody kisses like that. No. Did you have any additional things you wanted to talk about? 
Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that the chief of police basically is out trying to run the scene, which in my experience is chief of police is basically a figurehead who probably hasn't seen patrol in a decade. Yeah. And he's out of his own league. He's so far behind what's going on. Sergeant Powell realizes stuff a minute and a half before him. He's so obnoxious too, which I'm like, you shouldn't be out here. He dumb. You're just getting in the way. Yeah, for sure. He didn't want to even believe that anything was going on. Yeah. So then he sends that, I guess, tank. Yeah. And then they have a flamethrower or some rocket launcher. Yeah, they shoot a rocket at it. And he's just like, oh, okay, I guess there is something going on over here. And he keeps thinking John's in on it. Yes. Which is just ridiculous. I'm like, and Sergeant Powell's like, no, I, he's not. Yeah, I mean, like, he uses, Sergeant Powell uses his gut feeling to know, like, no, this guy is, is one of us. He's trying to help us. It's like you could tell Sergeant Powell is the very best in police work and Chief is a chief because of a reason. I just want to talk about Alan Rickman a little bit because I think it's really hard for me to watch movies now with him (laughs) and not think of Snape. (laughs) I even looked at you one point and I was just like, turn to page 394. Because at the end, he's like drop your gun and i was like lower no he said lower your gun and i was like lower your wand (laughs) (laughs) and this is his uh first movie ever ever he had done some tv and he had done some stage but this is his very first movie that makes sense he i can think of this movie and then when i saw prince of thieves with kevin costner yeah Mm mm-hmm Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I think is what it's officially called. And he plays the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And I just totally thought he was like always a villain. Yeah. He plays a lot of villains. It's weird to he's watch. He's kind of a villain in love, actually. I was going to say, but he's still a dad. Yeah. So He's, <laughs> he's likable, but yeah. towards the end, you're like, you're a douche. Yeah, he's a douche, but he's a dad and not a terrorist or an... <laughs> Like a really mean I mean, he didn't professor. murder anybody. He just murdered his marriage. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, That's pretty much all I had. Other than, can we talk about Ellis for a second? Uh, Could there be a bigger douche? It's one of those movies. We watch movies, scary movies, action movies, and there's always the one guy that you're like, can't wait until he gets hit by a bus or something. <laughs> and he's definitely one of those people. Yeah, uh, it was someone you're like i kind of hope hans shoots him right now yeah and then hans shoots him and you're kind of like good he's so cocky and he just tries to like you said earlier he tries to reason with the terrorists I, the only thing i will say he gave up john mclean's name but he didn't give up polly which was i guess a redeeming yeah part no just the him. news gave up Holly's no. and john's name basically but I don't know. He was he was the biggest douche. I I wanted to just talk about when they're taking the hostages to the roof. Yes. And John's like, the roof is wired to blow. And he's up there. They know who John is, these people. They've seen him. They've met him. Oh, the hostages. The hostages. Yeah. And he's like, get down to the basement. The roof is going to blow. They are not moving with the slightest... They, they just stood there, and then he takes a gun and shoots it in the air, and it's like, he's like, what the fuck 
is wrong with you? Go! And then the next part is the FBI seeing this crazy man who's got blood all over him shooting a gun, and they shoot at him, which I can't really blame them because they don't know what John McClane looks like. No. And he just looks like one of the crazy terrorists shooting yeah. a gun, so... That tells and you. he's like, stop shooting at me, I'm on your side. I'm like, well, you look like a crazy person. <laughs> you're, Do it from their point of view. You are covered in dirt, and you're up there shooting a gun into air. It doesn't look good. Yeah. That is one of those other things where nowadays they have so much technology where they could look him up and see, like, pull him up, even up, pull up his Facebook or something, yeah. and they would know right away, oh, he's New York PD. You yeah. Know, okay. And this is what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very, very true. Do you want to move on to our final thoughts? Yes. And part of our final thoughts are our award season. <laughs> you looked at me like I... I was ready to talk. I was going to introduce award okay. season. I was like, what is she? Where is she going with this? I'm intrigued. <laughs> uh, as always, it is award season here on Ruining Our Childhood. And the f- we give out two awards every week. The first of which is the valedictorian to the Nicolas Cage online school of bad acting. Who did you give your award to? I mean, there's quite a few to choose from, I think, between mm-hmm. the random German terrorists that have one line each. But I actually gave it to Argyle, who okay. I don't really know how to say his name. Devour. I don't know. It's like French. Devour? Devour. That's probably how you say it. Or Devereaux? Maybe Devereaux White. I th- I'm going to go Devereaux White. I'm sorry I butchered his name. You're like Devour? <laughs> I was trying to say it like nice, but yeah. anyway. He was just really extra. He was. And he, his, to me, his character had no point whatsoever. Obviously, he had to get a ride to the Nakatomi Tower. Mm-hmm. I get that. You didn't need to make a character out of it, I guess. Could have yeah. just been a random guy. And he hammed up all of the scenes he was in in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of, like, stepped away from him a little bit. And then he was there at the end. And I will say a redeeming factor was that he did crash the limo into Theo and what I assume was going to be their getaway vehicle. I think so, yeah. But I just feel like his character was totally unnecessary. It was just extra comedic relief that wasn't even really that funny. No. So. He reminds me of the character from Gone in 60 Seconds. The one who was like a motor mouth and... I'm pretty sure I gave him my bad. Yeah, exactly. Because you're just dumb. Yeah. I actually gave mine to the character Theo, Clarence Gilliard, because he was kind of extra. Yeah. And kind of obnoxious. When they shoot this, specifically when they shoot the missile at the SWAT tank, and he says, oh my god, the quarterback is toast. Yeah, he was trying too hard. Yeah, I wish almost they had gone with a robotic German run-of-the-mill terrorist that were all of his henchmen. I wish... It was just another one of those, and not this guy. He was just over the top for me. Not as bad as Argyle, but no. he was up there. Because he had more of a purpose. He was their IT person. He was yeah. the person breaking into the safe. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. He wasn't the best character in the world. No. no. Um, we can move on to the Thomas J. Hanks Award for Exceptional Acting. Who did you give yours to? I, I almost by like automatically gave it to Alan Rickman, because I love Alan Rickman. But his American accent kind of took him out of the running for me. Yeah. But he is a, an exceptionally good terrorist. I actually gave mine to Reginald Vell Johnson. It's a situation where a character or an actor became synonymous with a character that is almost silly. Mm-hmm. So you 
always associate with him being Carl Winslow and interacting with Steve Urkel. Yeah. Whereas, so then I'm watching this movie and I'm going, he's a damn good actor. All of his interactions with John and talking to John on the radio, he was great. Yeah, I gave it to him as well because he, I feel like he was better comedic relief when they needed to be. Yeah. Had some funny lines and he was the only character that believed in John. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was also smarter than the police chief, like we mentioned earlier. The the scene where they're watching the tower and the terrorists are shooting at the lights and he's like, they're shooting at the lights. And the chief, it's like a moment later and the chief says the same thing and he looks at him like, bitch, I just said that. And uh, I also like that he could spew out the ingredients for a Twinkie, which I thought was a funny part. Yeah. And then towards the end when he yells at the deputy chief, because mm-hmm. he's just so fed up with his lack of intelligence yeah. and direction. Honestly, the end scene when they see each other for the first time was super bromantic. Yeah. Like you said, you're like, I'm waiting for them to kiss. Yeah. Yeah, he was super good, and I thought he kind of was cast great as a sergeant. I almost wish, like I said, they had eliminated Paul Gleason's character and just, here's the guy running the scene. Yeah. This is the guy that should be running the scene. But you almost need someone who's out of their element which is always funny because in the chain of command he's the guy he's the highest ranking guy he gets to run the show and there's plenty of times where they have no business running the show they are out of touch that's and i think it helped you like reginald valjohn's character johnson sorry (laughs) what is he in les mis um (laughs) sergeant powell's character because you see he's He's smart. He mm-hmm. knows what he's doing compared to this deputy chief. I also like at the end, he would literally save John and Holly's life yeah. because he kills Carl, who <laughs> does the horror movie like, everybody's dead. Nope, wait. This Just guy. kidding. Yeah. Here comes crazy blonde haired, seven foot tall German guy just out here to shoot people. <laughs> Into a crowd of people, including yeah. reporters and uh, good times. But I thought you would give it to Bruce Willis. His acting was pretty good, Rickman's acting, but I was more almost surprised at how good Reginald Val Johnson was, and I, he was a necessary part in the movie, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I agree. I liked him a lot. So, I guess we can answer the question, does this movie hold up, and what do you think? I was a little surprised at, I thought it was going to hold up, but I was surprised at how well it held up, because I thought, given it was a 1988 action movie... We were going to have some cheesy stunt scenes and cheesy action sequences. But even when Hans falls off the building, basically, it wasn't really cheesily done. Yeah. The explosions were pretty well done. Like, Michael Bay should go watch this movie and learn how to do an explosion scene. Like, where it's just enough. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I also agree with, there's like little tiny things that they can't help. Because of the technology, other than that unnecessary scene where the guy slides down the stairs for no reason. (laughs) Totally unnecessary. But I agree that this movie did hold up. It's still enjoyable to watch. It's when you overthink it too much, maybe you're like, can this guy really take on this many people? I will say the group of terrorists were not very organized. They were really depending on everything going 100% smoothly. They didn't really have a plan B. Mm -hmm. And... After a minute, it seemed like none of them wanted to listen to Hans completely. 
because he was just like, ignore the guy, just continue with what we're doing so we can get out of here. And they're like, no, he killed my brother. I got to go hunt him down. Yeah, definitely. And they should have just listened to Hans because he was clearly the only one that knew kind of what he was doing. I did like, they're just nondescript henchmen guys. Yeah. And we looked at each other and we thought one was Huey Lewis. <laughs> Which, did you open up the note I in your pocket? I did not. So Let's his see. brother, big Die Hard fan. He's the one who introduced me to Die He Hard. kept wanting to talk about this one actor in the terrorist group that he kept thinking was some sort of singer. It would be funny if it's Huey Lewis or if the other thing he wrote on here is he thought the other guy was Dan Spivey. But I know he said it was a musician. Russell. Okay, here we go. Bad guy that works the front desk looks like Huey Lewis. <laughs> we agree. We... He, he definitely, like, from the back, there was a scene where uh, Sergeant Powell comes in to talk to him, and it's his hair, mostly, yeah. and his side profile that really looks like him, but then when you look at his eyes, it's definitely not Huey Lewis. <laughs> no, but that's hilarious that that is exactly yeah. what Danny wrote, was uh, guy who worked the front desk. We agree, Danny. We, we totally agree. agree. I was just thinking when you were talking about Hans falling and how obviously John shoots him mm-hmm. and then because he has Holly, mm-hmm. she pushes him, but then he grabs onto her wrist and she has a Rolex on. Yeah. And when he's falling because they unhook the Rolex, I was like, no, not the Rolex. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a really nice watch. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do feel like this movie should have been called... Everybody is stupid except for John Shar- uh, S- Sergeant Powell and Holly. Exactly. exactly. And, and, uh, and Hans. I and guess. Hans, yeah, yeah. Hans was pretty smart. Everybody else, dumb. Hans, except for his little moment where he has to give you his world domination plan, would have been the smartest James Bond villain. That's true. <laughs> Hands down. Very true. So, we agree. Movie holds up, folks. Yeah. Not completely surprising, no. but you never know. You don't. You don't. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, guys. We hope you have a happy holidays. Also, don't forget to check out our Instagram for our contest. Yes. And we're going to show you what that shirt looks like. And I hope, especially after this episode, people are excited and want that shirt. Yeah. I know I want that shirt. I do, too. Maybe I'll I'll enter the... I'm just kidding. I I don't get to win. Also, we found out you can ask, ask your Alexa... To play our podcast. That's true. All you got to say is, Alexa, play Ruining Our Childhood by Apple Podcast. Yeah. And talk clearly, because Alexa's a dumbass, and she (laughs) didn't understand us about, what, the first five times? I was like, Apple lied to me. They sent (laughs) sent us an email, and they said, you can do this now. Tell your listeners that you can do this. And I tried it, and it was like, I don't have Ruining Our Childhood. (laughs) Yeah. But when we spoke very clearly, which doesn't always happen on this podcast, especially for Mumbles McGee, me, it played it. So that's that was true. awesome. Yeah. So try that out. Or don't. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But again, thank you for listening and happy holidays. Merry Christmas and whatever holiday you celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. You do you, man. Yeah. Enjoy any kind of days off you get. If you don't, because you work retail, I'm sorry, but I feel you. Or if you're working for law enforcement, that's true. You're not going to get it, but hey, enjoy the time with the family if you do get it. Yeah, definitely. And we'll see you next week with another exciting episode of Riveting Our Childhood. Okay? Bye. Bye.